from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Hello, everybody. We're happy to be here with you today. Today on this recording, the day we are recording this is what I'm trying to convey. It is Ascension Thursday. We live in Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania is one of the provinces in which the uh, bishops have retained the celebration of the Ascension of the Lord on the Thursday. Mm-hmm. You know, traditionally it's Ascension Thursday, but some bishops in the States have moved that to s- the Sunday. Next Sunday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about this. It's Here's another name for the Feast of the Ascension of the Lord. It is the Feast of of the celebration of the human body participating in the eternal ecstasy of the Trinitarian exchange. Whoa. (laughs) That's what it is. Now that's, I just want to throw something in there that um, where we live, there are a lot of Amish and Mennonite people and their businesses are closed today. Yeah, that's right. Which, you know, affects the rest of the world who rely on their businesses. But I wonder if they would put it that way. Here's why you are closed. I can't see my Amish friend saying it like that. Listen to this reading. This is from, this is today's Mass for the Feast of the Ascension. And this is St. Paul, who has clearly encountered something, seen something, felt something, experienced something that blew his mind and heart and body, and he's trying to convey this. You know, we we hear these readings, they kind of go in one ear out the other, but let's see if we can take this in at a new level. Okay. He says, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is from Ephesians chapter 1, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation resulting in knowledge of him. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call, what are the riches of glory in his inheritance, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens." So, Paul has encountered something that has rocked his world. He has encountered some knowledge of God and this promise, this glory of the inheritance. What is the inheritance? Well, it's it's that. It's it's bodily participation in the eternal ecstasy and bliss of the Trinitarian love and exchange. It's the fulfillment of the deepest desires of Mm. our hearts. It's the promise that all of our sorrow, all of our pain will be transformed into glory. All of our wounds will shine with glory. That's pretty dang exciting. Oh, yeah. So, maybe we can enter into that ascension mystery at a, a new level today. Theology of the body, again, shows itself not just as some kind of footnote in the Christian life, but as as something that illuminates the whole reality. We are destined for bodily participation in the life of God. That's, Mm. Lord, help us take that in. Yes. And here's one way that the Lord might want to help you take it in. What? (laughs) 
Me personally? Yes, well, you, sure, you too, <laughs> well, Wendy. The well, you're, you, you, actually, you actually already are taking it in, oh, in this great, way. Oh, great, great. It's so the uh, it's the theology of the body online conference yes. that we recently offered. And we which keep is, listening to the talks. We're and listening. Them. To, I'm I'm taking up listening to one talk a day. Uh-huh. And this morning I listened to a longtime friend of ours, mm-hmm. Wendy, uh, someone I've mentored over the years, Jen Messing. She lives in uh, the Twin Cities area in Minneapolis. And she runs a ministry called ID Retreats, and she gives, in this whole spirit of Carol Wojtyla, who used to take young people out into the woods, into the mountains, into creation, and talk about these themes of the theology of the body, the theology of creation, who God is, who we are. Jen Messing does this. Uh, I've been on one of these uh, outdoor backpacking trips with her. It's really exciting what she does, but hearing her talk today... It really, it really blessed me because I've mentored her over the years. She's been a student of mine. Uh, she even lived with our family for a time. And uh, seeing how she, you know, everybody, every, all the TOB teachers out there, they all get in their own groove as in, sure. in terms of the way they explain the Pope's teaching. And just to see her in her groove, doing her thing, and the way she breaks it open and the, the, the example she uses, the diagram she drew on the whiteboard, and it was really great. That just Here I am. I've been a full-time student of this teaching and teacher of this teaching for 25 years or more, and there's still so much to learn, and I'm really, I'm really learning so much from listening to all these talks. So in the show notes, you'll see the link if you want access to the online conference that we hosted couple weeks ago. It's still available. Uh, learn more about that. And there are a lot of ministries out there. Probably you're getting emails from other people who are doing online events. Uh, we have a Spanish version of an online TOB conference coming up the weekend of June 12th to the 14th. So if you're a Spanish speaker or you know other Spanish speakers, check the link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, please, please Mm-hmm. Uh, get the word out in the Spanish-speaking world about Theology of the Body online conference. I believe, if I'm remembering it correctly, it's just tobvirtualconference.com forward slash Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I'm pretty sure, the link. And then a good friend of ours, Wendy, Damon Owens, he is heading up a Catholic marriage summit on the weekend of June 11th to the 13th, yep. 2020, coming up here. And we'll have a, uh, you and I are giving a talk for that. We are. And do we know what we're talking on yet? No, it's a surprise. It's a surprise. Okay. <laughs> this is specifically for married couples. Scott and Kimberly Hahn are going to be part of it. Damon and Melanie, of course, and lots of other well-known couples. You'll, you'll recognize the names. It'll be a chance. Um, and, and what they're after is not just more theology on the sacrament of marriage, as wonderful as that is, but... They're looking for the married people giving talks to really share from their experience, from their mm-hmm. hearts of what they've been through. And so we're going to be trying to do that as well. So check out the link in the show notes for that conference as well. Mm-hmm. So, Wendy, what kind of questions are we getting these days? Okay, I do have questions for you. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Are they good ones? Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because we get those dud questions. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Here's a question from Lauren. She says, I was recently reading a novel written from a Christian perspective with Christian characters. 
One of the characters mentions that his growing attraction for the girl had only started with lust. This line was jarring to me. Would you please take a few minutes to discuss the difference between attraction and lust? Sure. Okay, so only started with lust. It's an interesting line. And I don't think it does justice to the nature of the human person. We are not utterly depraved. This marks a distinction between Catholic theology and the theology of many of the reformers of the Protestant tradition who believe that because of original sin, human nature has become utterly corrupt or utterly depraved. This is not the Catholic view of things. We are tragically fallen, absolutely tragically fallen, but we remain fundamentally good. And this this really does get at something absolutely essential. You've heard me say it before on this podcast, but it's so important to understand. The devil does not have his own clay. What does that mean? It means there's not a parallel evil world next to a good world. And, and evil cannot overcome good in the final analysis. Evil is the distortion of the good. So this, this statement that this attraction only started with lust doesn't do justice to the reality that lust is itself a distortion of a good, which means even in the lust, there's something good in there that got distorted. Hmm. There's no such thing as pure evil. There's no such thing as pure lust because of the nature of evil. Evil is the distortion of a good, even in that which is horrifically twisted up. It's precisely something good that is horrifically twisted up. So, as John Paul II says, evil is always related to the good, and there is a good that has been distorted. So, all this to say, here's an image. Jesus used it himself. The the wheat and the weeds grow together. We've been married 25 years. Mm -hmm. We have been through lots of purifications where the weeds have been on display and we just say, Lord, come in, please, uh, please help us distinguish the wheat and the weeds. But even after 25 years of this journey, we, there's still weeds in there. And we have, to, we have to be aware of that. That shouldn't cripple us. It shouldn't stifle us. But it's just a, a realistic perspective of human nature. There's going to be weeds in us, but there's also wheat in us. No one is 100% weeds, nor is anyone 100% wheat. All of that is to just kind of lay a foundation for addressing this issue. Mm-hmm. And I think probably what, Lauren, you're feeling when you said you were disturbed by this, you're probably feeling in your heart that injustice to the real reality of our our humanity. To say it was the attraction only started with lust doesn't do justice. And I get, I, I would guess, Lauren, that that's what you're feeling. But your specific question was, can you help us understand the, dis- the difference between lustful attraction and... Uh, the difference between attraction and lust. The difference between attraction and lust. Okay, so lust is an attraction to another with a selfish sting. Lust is the inversion 
of Eros. Eros, as it was created by God, remember Jesus points us back to the beginning. In the beginning, it was not so. What was not so? There wasn't lust. There wasn't hardness of heart. There wasn't selfishness. There wasn't pride. There wasn't ego. In the beginning, they were naked without shame, and they were naked without shame because they experienced erotic desire, erotic attraction, as the attraction to the good of the other that inspired a desire to be a gift for the other, affirming the other. The very sentiment of Eros was, this is my body given up for you. That's how God created it to be. When we disobeyed God, when the love of God died in our hearts, or to use a biblical image, when we ran out of wine, Mm -hmm. uh, keep in mind that wine is a symbol of divine love poured out. The purpose of the sexual relationship is to share that wine, that love of God, but you can't give what you don't have. If we run out of wine, now we're in trouble. We could put it this way, lust is what you get when eros runs out of wine, when eros is cut off from agape, to use another term, agape being sacrificial love. So, lust again becomes an attraction with a selfish sting. Rather than this is my body given up for you, it becomes that's your body and I want to take it for me. Now, that might be sometimes a more male approach or understanding of lust, Uh, Women also experience lust, not that it's not related to the body. Both men and women have physical attractions that have become distorted by sin. Both of us have emotional needs and desires that have become distorted by sin. But generally speaking, again, wanting to be aware of not making uh, blanket statements, but generally speaking, men experience lust more as geared towards some kind of physical gratification at the expense of another, whereas women generally speaking, experience it often more as an emotional gratification. Maybe you've heard the expression, men will use love in order to get sex, and women will use sex in order to feel loved. That doesn't tell the whole story, but I think it does shine a light on a lot of human experience. So, Lauren, you are right to say that that line doesn't do justice to the complexity of human hearts, And I hope what I'm sharing shines a light. I want to just close with this, and then, Wendy, I'd love to hear your thoughts. We all have run out of wine. But here's the good news of the gospel. Where does Jesus perform his first miracle, and what does he do? He comes to a wedding where a man and a a woman have run out of wine, and he restores the wine in super abundance. The goal of the Christian life here is to drink deeply of this new wine so that we can learn again how to share that wine, that love of God with one another in and through our bodies, in and through erotic longing and attraction. With that new wine, we can come to learn what it means to love as God loves that's the good news. That's the miracle of redemption. Uh, yeah, I love all of that. And I have experienced, um, you know, there's different p- ways you could go with Lauren's question. And 
something that we've been privileged to experience because of the work that God called especially you to do, but us as a couple, is a lot of times getting to talk with people about their journey in their relationship. And something we've certainly encountered is people who would honestly say that not only the beginning of their relationship, but even of their marriage was based in a lustful, unredeemed kind of desire for one another. And yet they have experienced outpourings of grace, you know, openness to the truth that sets them free, a real genuine love for the person to whom they're married. Um, And I think it could be in this book that the author is setting up, you know, the process of a a necessary growth in a character who's... I hope that's the case. I yeah. took a little bit more of a cynical approach. I'm I'm guessing, Lauren, you can write us and let us know if I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm guessing that this is a, a Protestant book. I think but, it is. I yeah, think so, yeah. I'm guessing. Um, but, so, I, mean, I think we should be just aware that the difference of Catholic and Protestant theologies here sure, might be at work. Sure. Nonetheless, I just you yes. know wanted to share that... that um, the hope that we have through all of what you Amen. were saying Preach is that it's not just a fundamentally wrong relationship because sin has affected it. Yes. You know, all of our relationships are affected by sin, as yes, you've been saying. Yes, if that were the case, Wendy, you and I would uh, yes. be in big trouble. But, you know, that that's a beautiful, hopeful thought that even something that began in a selfish way can be redeemed by the Lord, and that there's elements of the good attraction to the person and the revelation of God's goodness that you see in that person, even underlying what's been twisted up. So, I think Amen. that's awesome. I'm reminded of a quote from JP2's book, Love and Responsibility, in which he says, Love never is, it is always only just becoming. <laughs> and experience bears that mm-hmm. out, right? It is becoming. It's becoming. I maybe I should say rather than Wendy, I love you, I should say, my love for you is becoming. <laughs> <laughs> which reminds me of a song, which is the same point. I love you more today than yesterday. Right. But not as much. As tomorrow. There it is. Same point. Mm -hmm. It grows. That's the good news. Yeah. And there's always, always room for growth, for healing, for redemption. And there's always hope of growth and healing and redemption. Thanks be to God. Hmm. Next question is from an anonymous. uh, Oh, sorry. It's not. Not anonymous. No. Well, who is this not anonymous (laughs) person? (laughs) We have a question from Andrea. Hey, Andrea. You're not anonymous. Uh, She says, thank you for serving as a husband and wife team on this podcast. She says, it really warms and tickles my heart to hear you affirm and interact with each other. I thought it was sweet. Okay, here's getting on to the question. I'm writing because I found out my best friend, who is Catholic, is planning on turning to IVF, Mm. in vitro fertilization, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. after years of trying to conceive, and she's had several miscarriages. Mm. What can I say to her that will encourage her that IVF is not the answer to the future full of hope that she's seeking? Oh, bless your dear friend, Andrea. Bless you in your friendship with her, and thank you for submitting this question. It, It taps such a depth of... 
oh, I don't even know what to call it, the, the, the yearning of the human heart, the mm-hmm. desires of the human heart, the sorrow and pain of the human heart when those desires are not for fulfilled. First, I think we can just affirm wholeheartedly this friend of yours, Andrea, and I encourage you to affirm wholeheartedly her desire to be a mom. Mm-hmm. That is a God-given desire. Praise God. She feels it. She feels it in her bones. She mm-hmm. feels it up, down, backwards, and forwards, and every which way she's yearning, aching to be a mother. And one would assume her husband is aching and yearning to be a father. That is a beautiful, wonderful yearning they have. It's God-given. So the desire for children is beautiful, but that doesn't mean every means to acquiring a child is justified. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about here when we're talking about in vitro fertilization. The end, the very good end of wanting to be a mother, wanting to be a father does not justify the means let me just take a, an obvious example of this. It's kind of strange to bring up, but I'm just trying to, to get a very obvious example of where the ends does not justify, the end does not, of wanting a child does not justify the means. Your desire for a child does not justify you kidnapping someone else's child, obviously. So just one example, the end does not justify mm. the means. A good desire for a child does not justify kidnapping someone else's. What is is the church's teaching here on reproductive technologies. It's the flip side of the church's teaching on contraception. Both teachings draw from this fundamental truth that sex and babies belong together. Contraception wants to have sex without the babies. It wants to have the pleasure of the sexual act but block it from resulting in a child. In vitro fertilization, artificial insemination, and any other technological means of producing a child apart from the marital embrace, it's just the reverse. It's saying we want the babies apart from the sexual act. And both are wrong for the same reason. And we can quote Christ himself here, who said, what God has joined together, we must not separate. God has joined sex and babies together. When we separate the conception of a child from the marital embrace, we are doing a grave injustice to that child who has the right to be conceived through the loving embrace of its mother and its father, to produce a child in a, in a Petri dish, to produce a, a child mechanically apart from the physical union of the husband and the wife is a serious injustice to the child. We as husbands and wives... We don't, in the final analysis, we don't have a right to have children. We have a right to engage in the marital embrace as husband and wife. But whether or not that marital embrace results in a child must be always left in the hands of the Lord. 
who is alone the Lord and the giver of life. To force a conception in a Petri dish or through some other technological means apart from the marital embrace is to put ourselves in the position of of God. Now, this is also important to clarify that the church teaches that we are allowed to do everything within our power to facilitate the marital embrace in achieving its natural end. For example, if if the problem of infertility would be that um, the woman wasn't ovulating, mm-hmm. she could take a drug that would induce ovulation, and then the child could be conceived in the normal way. Or suppose a husband had a low sperm count. He can do whatever is, you know, feasible to increase that sperm count to facilitate a conception. So we can aid the marital embrace in achieving its natural end, but we cannot morally or licitly replace the marital embrace as the means of the child's conception. Now, for the moral question, I'm going to leave it at that for now, or the explanation. If you want to dive more deeply, if you're out there listening, you're like, well, that, what, what about this? And what about that? And what? Yes. And, I, and we understand all those reactions. Please, I'm not, uh, I don't want to downplay the real questions that people have, but we don't have time to go into all that right here and right now. I will refer you again to my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, mm-hmm. the new edition, which has lots of new questions in there. Um, and I have a whole chapter on in vitro fertilization with several questions on the topic. So I, I would invite people, if you want to learn more, to, to turn to that as a resource. Uh, what, what could Andrea say here? Wendy, do you have some, some thoughts? How could Andrea approach this with her friend? Yeah, I, it is really challenging. I think there's, first of all, Andrea shouldn't expect to be perfect or to blame herself if, you know, her friend goes forward with this. It is a very complicated and sensitive thing for couples. But I do think sometimes we've not been exposed enough to the opportunities and the what's available from the Catholic perspective. Yes. Um, so we might need further information. I actually just learned of a beautiful, another beautiful online conference is called um, Unexplained Infertility Summit. Mm. Unexplained Infertility Summit. Um, and it's a gathering of you know, Catholic doctors and healthcare providers who are sharing, especially Wonderful. with couples that have what we call unexplained infertility, what's available and how much hope there is in um, morally acceptable and actually better, more wonderful yes. treatments for the human body if, if there's an underlying cause that can be treated. So I just wanted to share that as a resource that, Andrea, you could look up and also share with your friend. Um, just because that that's a, you know, there is a lack of awareness where, you know, how many of us are fortunate enough, fortunate enough to have encountered um you know, all that's available, very few. And so, you know, if we can spread the word in that way, I think that is a great help to a friend to give something practical. And also, as you said, to really express understanding for the suffering, but also to commit yourself to praying for that couple. And I imagine you already are, but to trust that the Lord is using that, um, 
to soften their hearts, that grace flows as a result of our prayers for one another. I don't know, you know, it would depend on the relationship, you know, how much is comfortable to share beyond sharing, here's a resource. I, yes. I just knew that you would want, you would want to know about this. I really, you know, to express love and to trust, you know, here's this question that comes up. Doesn't only God create a baby? You know that anybody who's been conceived by in vitro fertilization is no less human, it's no so less created by God make, yes. than any other person. And to acknowledge that there is, you know, an injustice in our origin is is painful. And it, it's but it's true for many people. That's and, right. You can be in, conceived in all sorts in of all situations. sorts of ways that are not in keeping with the dignity of the person. That does not mean the dignity of that person is any less. Right. But it does, justice does demand recognizing that the conception of that person, maybe it was premarital sex, maybe it was an affair, maybe it was an act of violence. Those remain an injustice to the person, as does an act of in vitro or artificial insemination. And I think a, a very important thing to remember here, we, we have been raised in such a uh, uh, in a mindset that seeks to dominate the body and its processes without recognizing the reverence that is required for the body, especially when it comes to fertility. We see fertility as something to dominate, manipulate, and control. But when we see that our fertility reveals in a very particularly brilliant and beautiful way what it means that we are made in the image and likeness of God and that when we tinker with our fertility we are tinkering with the very sources of human existence and we can very readily play God here sexual union and fertility is one of the most clear touch points between the creature and the creator and approaching that with reverence and never intending to play the creator but always to remain the creature with reverence for the mystery that is revealed the great mystery that is revealed in our sexuality uh, look up Ephesians chapter 5 verses 31 to 32 the great mystery revealed in our sexuality mm -hmm. we need to have that reverence for it. I'll just share one more story and we'll take our last question for the day. I remember talking to a father, this was years ago, who who he and his wife suffered so, and that we just need to acknowledge the suffering involved in infertility. It is a very real suffering. And that suffering, I say this not as a platitude, I say it because it's true. That suffering is supernaturally fertile. Hmm. Scripture says, more are the children of the barren woman than of she who bore children. And that is precisely a scriptural affirmation of this point, that that sorrow, that suffering is supernaturally fertile. It's real. That suffering is real. And the fertility, the supernatural fertility of that suffering is very real. And in the midst of that suffering, this father and his wife, this husband and his wife, uh, resorted to in vitro fertilization. It's understandable that we resort to these things to try to take away our suffering. 
But sometimes we add more suffering. Indeed, we do add more suffering. Whenever we act outside of God's will, we're adding insult to injury. We're, We're not relieving the suffering. Ultimately, we're causing more. And I remember him wrestling. Now his child was growing and asking questions, you know, where do babies come from? Mm. And he was wrestling. He's, and he said to me, I'll never forget it. He said, how am I going to tell my child that you exist because daddy went to a, a clinic, masturbated to the porn that was supplied to me, ejaculated into a cup, and then a technician took my sperm and did X, Y, and Z, and that's why you exist. And his very, his very suffering in that wrestling reveals the conundrum mm. that is involved when we separate the loving embrace from the conception of the child. To be able to say to our children, you come from the love of your mother and father who gave themselves to each other, trusting in God for you to exist, uh, desiring, you know, that it's a, it's a, it's a different, when we step out, and here's my point. <laughs> when we step outside that plan, we open a can of worms and there are implications to that. And the church is saying to us, your suffering is real. Your suffering is fertile, but none of that justifies us playing God. And the church is trying to save us from further sufferings mm. in her teaching, not to pour salt on our wounds, but to pour oil on our wounds. The church's teaching is always oil on our wounds, never salt. Thank you. Our last question is from Jeff, who says, My son is getting married in the fall. Both he and his fiance are Catholic. He recently asked me if I had any reading recommendations to supplement his marriage prep. I'm looking at several of your books and looking for your guidance. Sure. Yes, I would recommend for sure uh, The Good News About Sex and Marriage that was actually written uh, when I first wrote it 20 years ago. It was based on all the questions that you and I were getting, Wendy, when we were doing marriage prep. Yeah, all the engaged couples. Engaged couple questions. And that would be a great resource. I'd recommend Theology of the Body for Beginners. Uh, I'd recommend the books of Greg and Lisa Popchak. Their book, uh, For Better Forever, is excellent. Their book called Holy Sex is excellent. I love that your son asked you that question, Jeff. I just think there's a beautiful um, hopefulness, like, oh, I can just wanting to start well-prepared and acknowledging that we need that in our culture today. And the books Christopher mentioned, I think, are all helpful and maybe just, you know, encourage him to, you know, start them and see what's really calling to him in terms of, um, and to his fiance about what their needs are and where they're lacking. Um, We've talked previously also on our podcast about the need to grow in self-knowledge and understanding of our unique persons that um, would help us to know what our strengths and weaknesses are personally that we're bringing to the relationship and how we can help our spouse to understand us. So, you know, for me, not during our marriage prep, but later in our marriage, I really benefited um, from reading about uh, the four temperaments from um, a book called Personality Plus for Couples that I really enjoyed. So maybe something like that along those lines of 
um, understanding oneself are also very helpful. And there's the, the Five Love Languages book, mm, which yes. is very popular. And yes, and, and very helpful. Very helpful. Yeah. If you're also looking for a marriage prep program, you can go to ascensionpress.com. They have a program that I was involved in, in designing called Joy-Filled Marriage. Yeah. I did the, the more th- questions of theology and morality and then there are some colleagues of mine, including Greg Popchak and Tom McCabe and others who developed a whole uh, presentation on, on life skills, mm-hmm. communication, finances, all of those things we call life skills based, again, on, on the teaching of the church and bringing out the theology of the body and how it applies to all aspects of our lives, not just to moral questions. So uh, you can look for that joy-filled marriage program that might be of assistance, too. Yeah. Well, everybody, that brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember to check the links in the show notes for the conferences we told you about, the uh, premium pass for the Theology of the Body virtual conference, which is still available and will remain available. We love doing this for you guys. We're happy that you join us, and we look forward to being with you again next week. Till then, remember, as always, you are an unrepeatable gift become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. (laughs) 